The sacrificial service of Yom Kippur, known as the Avoda, is the Torah reading of Yom Kippur morning. And as we had mentioned earlier, it's also a central piece of the Musaf service, where we are describing the precise service, that sacrificial service that took place in the temple on Yom Kippurim. This description of the service is based upon the Mishnah in Masechet Yoma, the first seven chapters of which discuss the sacrificial service. And the sacrificial service of Yom Kippur is very complex because there are three different uh, pieces of it that have to be integrated. There is, of course, the daily sacrificial service of the Temple, there is the Musaf that's brought on Yom Kippur, which is part of the list of days in the book of Bamidbar, chapter 28, chapter 29, that describe the different days of the year where there's an additional sacrifice called the Musaf, Shabbat, the Yom Tovim, Rosh Chodesh, Yom Kippur is on the list. And then there's chapter 16 of Ayikra that describes the very special, unique service of the high priest on Yom Kippur. So the integration of these three pieces is what is known as Seder Avodat Yom HaKippurim, the order of the service of the high priest. The term Seder in general is a word that's often found in conjunction with sacrificial service. For example, the Seder, as we know it, the ritual meal of Pesach, is in fact a Seder. It's an ordered event, has many different pieces to it, but at its core, at its core, it's the ordering of two things. It's the ordering of the Paschal sacrifice, the carbon Pesach, on one hand. And then there's another commandment of the night. It's not clear this is the plain reading of the Torah, but the rabbinic understanding of the Torah is that on the night of Pesach, there's a commandment to tell the story. Perhaps part of that commandment to tell the story is to acknowledge God's grace, to praise God, to thank God for freeing us from slavery. And the integration of those two pieces, the ordering of those two pieces, the meal, that which we eat, and the sepoy, that which we say, is known as the Seder. They're integrated. So Seder is a term, at its core, it's the Korban Pesach, it's a sacrifice, but the sacrifice is performed a certain way, al Seder. And Yom Kippur, the Avod of Yom Kippur is the same thing, Seder Avodat Yom HaKippurim. It's interesting that if one had to pick out two rituals that are central, uh, in our experience, the Seder, of course, the Passover Seder is the core ritual of the Jewish people, and uh, the uh, experience of Yom Kippur is certainly, in our uh, experience, a very central religious event, and each of them uh, involves something that's done al Haseder. Yeah, doing the idea of doing it al Haseder, of course, it goes beyond the specific ritual. It's a statement about the world. There is a Seder on Pesach. We are saying that expressing the belief that 
there's an order to the world. There's a plan in history. There's a covenantal plan. There's God's intervention in history. There's a hope for redemption at the end of time. History for the Seder may even be cyclical. It may be recurring over and over again, Bechodar Vadar. And the Yom Kippur ritual, which is also Aga Seder, expresses something about, about the way the world works. There is a ritual of forgiveness. The world can be cleansed and move forward. God uh, is a forgiving God. Your deeds have to be accounted for, but there is an opportunity to repent and to move forward. So each of these two rituals is expressing the idea that there is a meaning and a purpose. There is a Seder. When you read the Torah in chapter 16 of Ayikra, which we do on Yom Kippur morning, the Torah speaks of the special service of the Kohen Gadol, and it talks about parts of the service that are performed with the regular priestly garments. Of course, the Kohen has to wear priestly garments. Without the garments, the service is invalid. The high priest wears eight garments. The regular priest wears four garments. So part of the service is performed with the regular clothing of the priest, the big day kuna, known in the liturgy as in the literature as big day zahav. But there's a piece of the service, the central piece of the ritual, which is performed not with the big day zahav, but what is with what are known in the tradition as big day lavan, big day bad, the linen clothing of the Kohen Gadol. When you read the Chumash, you get the sense that it begins with Big Day Zahav, then the core section he moves to Big Day Lavan, and then he takes off that clothing off and goes back to the regular priestly garments to complete the service. The Mishnah, however, says, says that there are not three steps for the high priest on Yom Kippur, but there are five. There's an additional two steps. So it starts with Big Day Zahav, then Big Day Lavan, where the core service is performed, then back to Big Day Zahav. Then there's a fourth step, which I'll get to later, which is interesting. And then, of course, you complete the service of the day with Big Day Zahav. What is done in each step is not clear. And actually, the different versions of the Avoda that we recite in Musaf reflect, to some extent, different understandings of what is performed in which of these five steps. I'm not going to get into that now, though it's extremely interesting. But let me say a couple of things about the Avodah of Yom Kippur. First of all, the ritual that we perform, that is the prayer, the recitation of the Avodah in Musaf, is not simply a recitation. It's more of a reenactment which is very unusual for us. Typically in our prayers, we don't have reenactments. The only other example I could think of, which is a kind of reenactment, would be what we do with the, with, with the Hoshanot on uh, Sukkot and, and on Hoshana Rabbah, walking with the Lu of around, walking with the Hoshanot around the uh, synagogue, around the Beit Knesset. Uh, it's a kind of reenactment of what took place in the in the, in the temple, in the Mikdash. 
On Yom Kippur, we also have a kind of reenactment. I think the point of the reenactment is, is this. When you read the Chumash, when you read chapter 16 of Ayikra, which talks about the sacrificial service and talks about the atonement service, what atones for the people in chapter 16 is the sacrificial service and in two different ways. Part of the sacrificial service, one of the critical elements of the sacrificial service, is the bringing of the two goats. There are two goats, according to the Mishnah, they're identical, and they're chosen by means of a lot, or a gorau. One of the goats will be brought as a sacrifice in the Holy of Holies, and the other will be sent out into the desert as a scapegoat sacrifice. And they have two different functions. The scapegoat sacrifice, which is brought brought second, carries with it the sins of the people. It's the atonement sacrifice for the people. But the sacrifice that's brought in the Holy of Holies, that particular goat, seems to have a different function. The Torah describes it as V'chiper HaKodesh V'tumot B'nei Yisrael M'pishayem L'chol Chatotam That sacrifice, the blood of that sacrifice, atones not for the sins of the people. That sacrifice is cleansing and purifying the very temple itself. And the point of these two different atonements is the scapegoat sacrifice is what bears our, carries our sins away. The sacrifice that's brought in the Holy of Holies is what allows God to dwell in the temple. The purpose of the Mikdash in the Chumash, Yasui Mikdash V'Shachanti B'Tocham, the Mikdash is God's presence amongst us. We dwell together with God. And that's represented by the temple. That represents God's presence. So what we want to do every year is to assure that the temple has not become defiled that the temple is still an abode in which God can dwell. So that's about, not about the specific sins, but it's about the idea that we and God occupy the same space. We're living in God's presence. We're living together with God. That's the double function of the sacrificial service as represented in the Chumash. What's very striking in the Chumash, in chapter 16, is that nowhere in that chapter is ever mentioned the idea of repentance. What's mentioned is the way the sacrificial service serves to atone for us. We don't have that service. So what we do on Yom Kippur is we reenact the service. And by reenacting the service, what we're doing, I think, is entering into that world. As a general question... And this is a problem, I'll speak for myself, but I'm sure many people have a similar problem. There are many things we are saying in our prayers, which we don't necessarily, where we find ourselves, hope for. We are praying for the restoration of the sacrificial service on the festivals, on the Shabbat. Many people are not anxious to have the sacrificial service restored. So for those people who don't actually pray for the sacrificial service to be restored, what are they saying? And I think there are two main possible ways to describe what they're saying. 
One is that when we say sacrifice, we don't necessarily mean sacrifice. We are engaging, we're saying sacrifice, but we really mean something else. Sacrifice stands in for something else. Sacrifice might stand in for closeness to God. Sacrifice could stand in for many things. So we're engaged in the kind of interpretive act that the prayers are, require an act of interpretation. That's one possibility. The other possibility is that we actually, in prayer, are entering into a different world. We are putting ourselves, for the time that we are engaged in prayer, entering into this world. And when we're in that world, we are desiring sacrifice, we are praying for sacrifice. And we, we exit that world, step back from our prayers and exit that world. Now we're in the world in which we're not praying for sacrifice, but we bring part of that world with us. And that is one way to understand prayer. Now in Yom Kippur, I think that's very much what we're doing. We're not simply saying the words. We're entering into that world. We are standing, as it were, in God's presence. We're standing in God's temple. As we say in our prayers, Lufnei Hashem Titaru. So this is a more general question, and I'm not going to get into now the details of this. This is a very broad question about prayer, about how one sees oneself in relation to this, to this activity of prayer and this tradition of prayer. But actually I was going to conclude with a different thought about Lifnei Hashem Titaru. Be purified before God. In the Chumash, in chapter 16, that this is the day that is given for atonement, and you shall be purified before God. So how does that work in the Chumash, actually? So in the Chumash, in chapter 16, we describe this avoda, and the avoda begins, and the Torah reading begins, actually, that God spoke to Moshe after the death of Aaron's sons. And the Torah says that we are warned, Moshe is told, speak to Aaron, your brother, and tell him, he should not enter into the holy place inside the inner curtain. Only with this may Aaron enter the holy chamber with two sacrifices, his own sacrifices and two of his own sacrifices and then he brings sacrifices from the people as well. With this may he enter and then the Torah continues and says that when he enters he brings special incense for Yom Kippur and that's the incense fills the chamber and that also allows him to enter. With this may he enter. And the two ways to understand this that what the Torah is saying is there's a problem in entering. You can't sleep, stand in God's presence. But at the end of the day, the sacrifices that you bring are not simply a way, a mechanism to allow you to enter. But the sacrifices that you bring are the atonement sacrifices for, for Yom Kippur. They atone, they purify the God's dwelling place, and they carry away the sins of the people. That's one way to understand it. There is, however, another way to understand it, 
which is Lufnei Hashem Titaru, that actually what atones for the, sacri- for the mistakes is actually standing in God's presence. It's the very standing in God's presence which is at least part of the atonement ritual. But in order to stand in God's presence, because standing in God's presence in the Torah is dangerous, you need a proxy. You need a sacrificial substitute for yourself in order to allow you to enter. But the atonement is a function of standing in God's presence. These are two different ways to understand the Yom Kippur ritual, and I believe there's a truth to both of them. And what I wanted to end with in this uh, brief discussion is the following. In the Torah, the Torah speaks of three stages. In chapter 16, there are three stages. Stage 1, 2, 3. Stage 2 is special service of Kohen Gadol on Yom Kippur. The special clothing, the special incense, the two goats chosen by Lot. The rabbinic tradition understands there are five steps. What is the fourth step? The second step seems to contain all of the special ritual of Yom Kippur. So what is the going, what, is the, what happens in the fourth stage? When he puts back on the special garments of Yom Kippur. The understanding of the Mishnah and the Gemara is that in the fourth stage, in the second stage, the Kohen has entered the Holy of Holies with the, with the incense, which involves a censer, it involves a ladle, and he's going to kindle the incense in the Holy of Holies. In the fourth step, the Gemara understands he goes back into the Holy of Holies to remove the ladle and to remove the censer. And of course, this is very strange. For one thing, there's so many precautions being taken for him to enter the Holy of Holies in the second stage. The incense, the sacrifices, only, only with these may he enter, lest he die. Then in the fourth stage, he walks, walks right in just to take out the ladle and the censer. And furthermore, if taking out the ladle and the censer is permissible, because it's an act of housekeeping, basically, why must the Kohen Gadol perform this? Anybody should be able to walk in and to remove the ladle and the censer. It's not entering for no purpose. There is a purpose. It's out of respect for the inner chamber. If that be the case, why, why do we need the Kohen Gadol in the first place? So it strikes me that the rabbinic understanding may be pointing us in a different direction. That actually what it's about, what the fourth step is about, is standing before God. Part of the ritual of Yom Kippur is the Kohen Gadol actually stands in God's presence. Removing the ladle, removing the center, is the excuse. He can't simply walk in for no reason. He needs a reason. But the Mishnaic understanding is that there's a reason. But standing in God's presence itself is part of the ritual of Yom Kippur. And for us, who don't have the temple, yes, we enter into that world. That's the idea of the Avoda. We reenact that experience. But apart from that, we are standing in prayer all of Yom Kippur. As we say in the final service of Yom Kippur, that God has set the human being aside from the very beginning 
God has recognized the human's ability to stand before God. That means to pray. Yom Kippur is a day of standing in God's presence. So the description of the service of the high priest has both of these elements. It has the sacrificial service, which we reenact. But part of the service of Yom Kippur, as understood by the rabbinically, it's not in the Chumash, but as understood rabbinically is that part of it is standing in God's presence without sacrifices. Simply standing in God's presence is part of the atonement ritual of Yom Kippur.